Great. Well, I know we've heard a lot of um, content and information so far, so bear with me. Um, but yeah, love for us to have a look at the Bible for ourselves. We've heard about how the Bible changes us, and we're going to try and look at that for ourselves this morning. I'm not sure how your new year has been. Uh, some of you have been great. You've been relaxed, you've been with friends, it's been chilled. Some of you, it's been really hard. Some of you have been out fighting fires, and, and we'll pray for, for those of you in a second for that. Um, some of you have friends and family that have uh, been stuck in fires, as we heard. Um, some of you are just starting 2020 with a bunch of unresolved hopes from last year. And uh, how you're starting, um, so good that you're here. I was, as many of you, a bit shaken up with what I saw in the fires this week. And uh, I know many of you have been much closer than, than, than I have, and that's really hard. But I've just, I've just seen the news and the photos. But uh, I guess it probably brought up a whole lot of memories and thoughts and feelings. As uh, My family went through the, the 2003 Canberra bushfires, and we lost part of our home and a bunch of stuff. And... And maybe you've gone through something like that. Maybe you've gone through a disaster or uh, a fire or a flood. And, you know, that brings up a whole lot of questions. This January, we're looking at the questions that people have about Christianity. And, you know, in situations like this, in the face of one of the biggest disasters that Australia has seen in terms of fires, it brings up a whole lot of questions. And whether you're a Christian or not... You might be asking, where does God fit into this? How does God, why does God allow things like this? How, how do I process things like this? How do I deal with this? And how do I respond? Now, there's passages in the Bible that we go to a lot. Um, passages on God's love and God's kindness and his forgiveness and his grace that we're saved. All this is good. However, do a little bit of digging and there's a whole lot of passages in the Bible that we don't go to very often um, that we hardly ever look at. And one of these is the book of Lamentations. Um, This week I read through Lamentations from start to finish. It's not very long, um, but it was the first time that I actually like sat in this book of the Bible for some time. And it showed me some things about the questions that we bring up at this time. Now, Lamentations was written uh, after the destruction of Jerusalem. And if you're uh, unfamiliar with the Bible, the Bible follows, or the Old Testament follows, this group of people called Israel who were people who worshipped God and followed God. And they get to this point where their, 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 their hub, their city, Jerusalem, is attacked by the Babylonians in 586 BC. And it's just a mess. <laughs> Everyone in Jerusalem loses their homes, their families, their livelihoods. Everything is gone. And, and just their sense of belonging, everything is gone. And not only that, they, they, those who survive are carried into exile. And as they're just dragged out of Jerusalem, they look back and the temple which for these people was the place where God dwelt and he met with his people and the place where they worshipped God. And this is where all the promises were. It's in flames. It's destroyed. This is bad. And now, there's plenty of areas of what's happening in Australia which is totally different to what's happening in Lamentations. But um, I want to share, though, that these, what these two have in, in similarities is they're both horrendous catastrophes. 
and then getting people to wrestle with these really hard questions. And I, as I've read through this book, I've got some things I want to share with you out of this that I've, I've, I feel like I've learned. The first point, I've got three points. The first point is, Lamentation shows us that it's okay to lament. In chapter 1 of Lamentations, verse 6 and 7, uh, it, it just is, they're looking back at, 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 at what's happening, like the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. Her princes are like deer that have no pasture and weakness. They fled before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers her treasures that were hers in days of old. And then when her, her people fell into enemy's hands, there was no one to help her. And if you go to 16, this is why I weep. Lamentation, like lament, it's a, a, the book of lament, that's what lamentation to me. Lament, by definition, is to, to, to passionately weep or to passionately express grief and emotion. And the person writing this says, This is why I weep, verse 16. No one was near to comfort me. No one was there to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Zion, that's the people of God. Zion stretches out her hands. There's no one to comfort her. Goes on and a bit further in verse 20. See, Lord, how distressed I am. I'm in torment within. And my heart, in my heart, I'm disturbed. And it just it goes on. But I want to just leave it there for a second. I think in the West, we've forgotten how to lament. We've forgotten that I think we, 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 we try and find the good in everything. We're trying to, to look at how things are good. And there's a place to do that. But there's also a place to just go, man, this sucks. And to sit with that. I think even in Australian culture, we're like, if someone goes through something, you know, pull in their emotions, she'll be right. She'll be right, take a cup of concrete. And it's just this, this... When we do that, though, we miss that it's okay to lament. Lament is really, really important because it's one of, it's a form of protest. It's a form of looking at the bad things that are happening and being able to say, that is wrong. That is not right. That is not the way things are supposed to be. It's a form of processing emotions rather than bottling up what we're feeling to be able to process it. And not only that, it's a place of voicing confusion. Now, this is not looked down in the Bible. I think it's really important to say because I don't know where you're coming from this morning, but if you're asking questions of God in the middle of suffering, two things. First, God is not afraid of your questions, right? Lamentation shows that he is okay with us bringing our questions. And, and two, any question you think you may have, even the hardest, most painful, most difficult question, why is this happening? Any question you have for God has probably already been asked within Scripture in some form or other. God has chosen that he wants us to see this, this wrestling within the pages. Now, you could... Imagine God could have easily looked at this and gone, oh, that kind of reflects badly on me. Don't include that. But he doesn't. He's chosen that he wants us to see this wrestling within his self-revelation, within the Bible. And part of the reason I need to say that is okay to lament, it's okay to wrestle, is I think within Christianity there's this false hope that um, become a Christian and everything is okay. Nothing really bad will happen to me. That if I become a Christian, I'm, I'm, 
most of the crises are going to just be okay. But that's not what the Bible promises. To quote that great work of art, The Princess Bride, life is pain, highness. Anyone who tells you different is selling something. Christianity is realistic. That this world has pain and the Bible isn't selling anything to you. It's not saying this isn't the way it is. Psalm 88, which is a passage, one of the the prayers in the Bible, which is very similar to um, Lamentations, just this pouring out of grief. Um, The author cries out, where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? He goes on to say, this is crazy. He goes on to say, you have afflicted me from my youth. Verse 15. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you've never been there for me, God. Like, I feel like I would be scared to pray that kind of prayer. But the the psalmist isn't afraid of that. He's, he's, He's not afraid of going, you've never been there for me, God. Derek Kidner, who is uh, a Bible scholar and wrote about these prayers of lament, he says, the very presence of these prayers, please hear this, this is really important. The very presence of these prayers in scripture is a witness to God's understanding. God knows how we speak when we are desperate. God knows how we speak when we are desperate. God put these prayers in the Bible. It's okay to lament. It's okay to pray the tough questions and the brokenness. But, but this leads to point two. Point one was it's okay to lament. Point two is it's okay not to have the answers. Now, this is much harder. Because the first one, the burden's on God, right? The first one is it's okay to to, to, to bring our questions and even scream our questions at God. But point two, the burden's on us. Because we have to be okay not to have the answers. Lamentations, this book finishes with the biggest non-resolution that I've ever seen. It finishes literally with, why do you forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us, O Lord, that we may return, renew our days of old, unless you've utterly rejected us. And are angry with us beyond measure. It's... (laughs) It finishes with this tension, this paradox, this this non-resolution. I I hate that. And I hate that because I hate unresolved things. I am the sort of person that I will, like, see a problem and I will box it up and will, like... Quick, put a quick solution and a surface level answer, even if I know that it doesn't actually solve the problem, but at least it's boxed up and on the shelf and tick. <laughs> but, and, and, and so when I get to these questions, it's so easy to just go, this is why this happened. This is why this makes sense. But lamentations and, and, and all of these other places in the Bible don't give us permission to have this simple answer that can explain away our problems that explain away the biggest questions in the world. And I realise that when I do that, what I'm doing is I'm pretending to be in control. I'm pretending that I know why this happened and I know what's happening here and that this is the reason. And, and it's, it's me putting myself in a position which I have no right to be in. In reality, quick answers cheapen human suffering. Jesus has asked some of the same questions that we wrestle with 
at times like these bushfires. And, and there's this time in Luke chapter 13 where his disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, this tower has just fallen over and it's lower. And it killed 18 people. Were these people worse sinners than, than other people? Did they do something wrong? Was, like, was there a, a, a reason that this bad thing happened? Did they deserve it? And Jesus shuts them down. And he doesn't give any, any permission to that that would cheapen or explain away the difficult question. In the middle of the suffering and the brokenness and the mess and our tension... We need to be okay with not having the answers. We, we have 100% permission to ask the question. But quickly boxing up quick answers and pretending to be in control only cheapens human suffering. Sometimes, and man, I say this totally knowing that I don't do this, but sometimes all we can do is just sit with it. Just sit. When, when someone's going through something, all we can do is just sit with it. This leads to point three. Is there any hope? Maybe you came to church looking for something uplifting, and I'm sorry, this is a bit of a downer, but Lamentations is a book of weeping, and it finishes with this non-resolution, like, is there any hope? But Lamentations is also a really, really, really intentionally structured book. It's got five chapters, and it's actually five poems of acrostic poems, you know, like every letter of the alphabet. And so it's almost as if the author has taken this um, mess, this, this, this chaos, and he's trying to, to, to understand it. He's trying to get his head around all this stuff that's happening. And in the very centre of the book is a passage that if you've been around church, you may have heard. Chapter 3, verse 21, it says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness I remember them well. My soul is downcast within me. Yet, whenever there's a yet in the Bible, take notice. Yet, this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. This is the very center of the book. This is the heart of it, which tells us that there's hope in the middle. You know, we don't have to wait until the suffering is over or that we're looking back at it or that... And we're waiting for it to arrive. No, in the middle, there is hope. At a fundamental level, as humans, we need hope. As we've been wrestling with questions, maybe there is a God and maybe there isn't. But you know, deep down, I think we know that there is hope. And the message of Christianity lies, lines up with what I think deep down we feel and we know that there really is hope. Hope that this terrible suffering, out of this terrible suffering, something good can come. Hope that people can come together and priorities adjusted. Hope that one day this world will be put right. Environment and climate and communities restored. Hope that somehow in Jesus, what is lost really will be found. See, Lamentations points in the very centre that there is something to hope for. And what is that? Well, if we go back to Psalm 88, that psalm I talked about before, which is like 
Lamentations. It's weeping. And there's only three psalms. There's lots of times in, the psalm, in the, the, these books of prayer that the psalms are just crying out to God. But there's only three that finish without hope. And this is one of them. It literally finishes saying, All my f- closest friends and neighbours are gone, and darkness is my closest friend. He's literally saying, the last word is darkness. He's just sitting in darkness. It's like, he's praying this to God. You know what he's saying? Darkness is a better friend than you, God. And yet, if I look a bit earlier on, it says this. Why, Lord, verse 14, why, Lord, do you forsake me? Why do you hide your face from me? What the psalmist didn't know, but, but we can know, was that some thousand years after this psalm was written, someone else would say those same words, quoting this same psalm as he hung on a cross and, and held the pain of the world, the, who, the man who claimed to be God in the flesh hung and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And heaven was silent. And he took what we couldn't carry so that he could take the punishment and the pain and the brokenness and the mess and the chaos and the disaster and that we can have the hope. You see, this, this is why we can have hope. Not that there is something better that's surely going to come, but that in the middle of the pain and the brokenness, that there is hope that was bought for us. There is hope that isn't just the consequence of circumstances and scenarios, but hope that in the middle of whatever we're going through, we can see that true disaster, that true storm, the storm that engulfed God himself who stood there on that cross saying, my God, why have you abandoned me? Can you think of the courage of a God who created the world to stand with pain and to, to, to enter into humanity's suffering? You, you and I know suffering, right? It's, it's human. God entered into that and he felt it and he took it so that we won't have to. Not that nothing bad will ever happen, but in the middle of it, we will never be without hope because because of what Jesus did, we can stand knowing that neither death nor life, whether I die or whether I'm okay, whether things are great or whether things are terrible, nor pain nor brokenness, nor the worries of today, nor the fear of tomorrow, nothing can separate us from the love of God. For I'm convinced nothing can separate us. When I stand in the middle of trouble, I'm not alone. That's hope. Can you see that? That's hope. So as I finish, what does this mean for us? I don't know if you're a Christian or if you're still exploring, but can I invite you to see a couple of things? Can I invite you, one, bring your questions, even scream your questions at God. God's okay with that. God invites us to bring our questions. Two, don't settle for easy answers. If you're a Christian, it might be tempting to look at suffering and go, well, this happened because, maybe this disaster is because of... No, don't cheapen human suffering. But if you're not a Christian, can I also ask you not to, not to cheapen... Not to settle for easy answers either. It's easy to look at this and go, well, 
if there's a God, why did this happen? There can't be a God if this happened. That's also a, a simple answer. Can you honour the complexity and weight and pain of human suffering by not giving a simple answer? It, it, it doesn't honour the real weight of what's happening. And three, can I invite you that there is hope in the middle? Yet this I call to mind and therefore have hope. His compassions never fail. Great is his faithfulness that in the middle he won't leave us, he won't forsake us, he won't abandon us. He promised that no matter who you think you are, no matter what you have done, no matter where you are, God promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, so that we can say with confidence in the middle of fires, in the middle of pain, in the middle of sickness, he's with me. And that's hope. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we don't even understand who you are. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. And Lord, we cry out and hear about these fires and disasters. And Lord, we just, Lord, we don't even know what to say. Thank you that that's okay. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have the answers. But thank you, Lord, that in the middle of that, you offer us hope. And Lord, I want to pray right now for those who are suffering in the fires. Lord, I want to pray for the firefighters who are going to head out later today and those who are out there right now and all of the people in our church. Lord, would you remind them there is hope in the middle. Lord, would you protect them and guide them. And Lord, we cry out to you because, God, you've asked us to cry out to you as a good father. Lord, thank you that there is hope in the middle. Thank you that that hope is because Jesus took our place so that we can take his, that we can come to you and ask you and beg you these things. We leave them in your feet. We trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen.